Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, Dr. Mary. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Dr. Lucy? Excellent, excellent. A busy week has been, uh, my past week has been very busy, but you know what? That's actually okay as well. We sometimes have busy times and then other times are quieter times. And I think as long as you're not busy, 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 it's a balance. The elusive balance. I am constantly in search of uh, work-life balance. Yes, certainly something I think the entire world is in search of. But I think one of the things we wanted to talk to our listeners today, and it has come up a few times, is what do I feed my kids? How do I feed the family? Can children do keto? These are the sorts of questions we get asked. So we thought we'd do a little podcast on it. Yes, feeding the family. Great. Now, Mayor, so you you have a family and I have a family. You've got a younger child. She's about seven, I think. She is, yep. And I have two more grown-up daughters, mine are 17 and 20. So there's different aspects to those, but we thought we'd give some some of our own tips and actually some advice also kind of based in science. Yes, topic extremely close to my heart. So I've got a younger child and one of the banes of my existence, I think, is just the ubiquitous saturation of sugar in our environment and more broadly in my child's environment and my child's life. It's everywhere. I find it extremely irksome and I have have some ways to navigate this. So people can get very, very fired up when it comes to the feeding and watering of children. There are some certainly some very strong opinions out there. And what we'll talk about today is sort of what we do and also what the science says that is safe and reasonable to do. My general strategy for feeding my family is this. We aim as much as possible for real food. We love real food at Real Life Medicine. We aim for food as close as possible to its natural form. Me, being the insulin-resistant family member, I definitely uh, wave that flag. I eat low-carb real food, and if I don't eat low-carb real food, I am prone to weight gain and, and even possibly getting my polycystic ovarian symptoms back, and I have definitely got my PCOS into remission and I want to keep it in remission. So I eat low carb real food most of the time, but my partner and my daughter, they don't need to. They are what we call metabolically flexible. They don't need to reduce their carbs or restrict their carbs. So they will have extra carbs. So typically a meal for us is uh, meat and low carb veggies with some extra sort of starchy veggies for uh, my partner and my daughter and that is kind of how it works most of the time and uh, it works for us we don't get many tears at dinner time but then there is the sugar yeah you've hit the nail on the head there the majority of kids are still metabolically flexible not all children there are some children that are insulin resistant at a younger age and this is part of the problem that we're seeing but if your child is active then carbs that they ingest 
they will burn quite quickly. And so there is no, you know, storage going into their woodshed, for example. So my girls are, are still metabolically flexible. One of them eats eggs for breakfast. The other one likes porridge and that's fine. It keeps her full. She's active. She burns it off there, both lean. So, you know, when people demonize some grains, you know, this goes back to our podcast, I think a few episodes ago on there is no one perfect human diet, but the broad brush strokes are reducing processed carbs. So processed in particular, processed sugar. And in fact, let's just call it what it is, junk food. Yes, junk food. And I work hard to keep junk food out of my daughter's mouth, and yet I frequently fail. And the reason I frequently fail is because junk food is pushed everywhere. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't aim for perfect. But even really wanting my child to eat, you know, virtually zero junk food, it still happens. And it happens because when she goes to parties, when she does sport, when she's at school or when she gets any vaccination or goes to the to uh, get her COVID test, which happened last year, she gets given junk food. And I find this really... <laughs> really irksome. And I believe that we really need some society change around this and also need to change the conversation around using food as a reward. So I reckon one piece of advice that we could give you guys out there as you you try and feed and water your children would be to take the emotional equation out of food at least at your home. So don't use food, particularly processed sugary food, as a reward for your children. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head in that there has been a societal shift over the last probably 30 years in normalising sugar normalizing junk food. And in fact, that hasn't happened accidentally. That has been a strategic move by junk food companies who are now called snack food companies who have now changed the language around food. It's no longer junk food. It's called discretionary items. The language and the story that is happening has changed the way society views this. And this is why it's become normal to reward children with sugar of various incantations. I'd like to tell a story that happened, it happened a few months ago, last year. My poor little child, she's seven at the time, she's still seven now, she gets a horrid fever. So I'm asked to pick her up from school because she starts complaining of tummy pain And when I come and get her, she just looks rotten. Poor little love. I have to carry her from the sick bay at school into the car. Like she's not desperately ill, but she's got a rotten virus and she feels really, really horrible. And I take her home and I put her on the couch and get her some, a nice cup of of peppermint tea, which she can't drink. And then, you know, I see the runny nose and the cough and I'm like, okay, well, she needs a COVID test. Like this, this has to happen. Um, even though I really, you know, the mother in me didn't want to subject my poor child to this 
So we ring up and make an appointment and um, I carry her back out to the car and then we go into the clinic and she feels just so febrile and so miserable and she starts to get a little bit nervous and a little bit frightened. So she's this mixture of really tired, really unwell, high fever and also frightened And then she gets her COVID swab, which, you know, to be honest, is a pretty uncomfortable experience um, where they have to put the the swab up the nostril all the way back to the pharynx. It's painful. like it, It is. And for a child, the first time they get one, it's also terrifying. So she has this terrifying experience when she's feeling at her most vulnerable and then it's all over and I'm ready to take her home and and just tuck her into bed and read her a story and then out comes a lollipop. The nurse who just did the swab gives her a lollipop and she loves lollipops. So she sees that and her eyes sort of brighten up and she reaches for it and I really don't want her to have it. But in that moment, there's no way I'm going to say, no, you can't. I'm not going to add that disappointment onto everything else that is going on for her. And so what has she been taught just then? This is like our government COVID clinics handing out lollipops to febrile children that have just had a COVID test. What has she learned then, you know, that a negative and frightening and uncomfortable experience is negated by sugar? So and that's what's happening out there. Kids get their lollipops after vaccines, after COVID tests. They get packets of lollies after sport. Sometimes teachers reward them with lollies. It's a really unhealthy message. And I feel that all I can do is gently point out when I feel that I can and it's safe to do so that this is not what I want for my child and work hard the rest of the time to not use sugary food as a reward for her or as a consolation or commiseration. This, Mayors, this is what I'm talking about with the normalisation of sugar. It is the root cause of many of our chronic diseases. It is highly addictive and our children are subjected to it so early in their life. One of the things I find fascinating in human, and again, this is a societal, cultural moray, I guess, at the moment, is if a woman is pregnant, everybody expects that that woman will look after herself, including the woman. She expects that too. She will, you know, if she was a smoker, this is the one time where women will give up smoking. They watch their food. They don't eat soft cheese. They don't drink caffeine. They stop alcohol really important things for the development of this precious fetus on board. We are highly aware of this and it is expected. You know, you wouldn't, you know, I've had it, I've actually had it in a restaurant where a a waitress assumed I was pregnant and wouldn't give me a glass of wine. (laughs) How weird is that? Interestingly, I just had the baby, hence the reason I I was looking very pregnant. But she actually said to me, do you think you should be having this? And I said, I've had the baby. So, um... That's how strongly our society expects that women will not drink in pregnancy. So we've got a few of those things. We nurture this beautiful fetus. When the baby is born, we spend all of this time, you know, investing in breastfeeding because we know breast is best. It is the best food for our baby. And there is this great sense of guilt and shame for women that are unable to breastfeed. And so then, um, you know, they feel terrible about feeding a baby formula. But then something happens at some stage. 
along that journey where society then deems it's actually okay to feed the kids sugar at varying ages. And it starts quite young now. It starts very young. And this is, I guess, what we're talking about here. If you stand up and say, listen, I don't don't want my kid to have sugar, people look at you like you're some sort of evangelist. But really what you're saying is I don't want my child to be addicted to sugar in their adult life. I don't want them to have chronic disease. I don't want them to have to deal with the repercussions of sugar addiction. The way I often look at it is that sugar being so super addictive, it is very similar to lots of other things. It's very similar to cigarettes. Can you imagine if we if we said to our child, go and clean your room up and then you can have a packet of ciggies? <laughs> it's just, you wouldn't do it. Um, alcohol, again, nobody, you know, there are no alcohol messaging. Everybody accepts that alcohol is toxic to children's brains. It's toxic to developing brains. There are laws against consuming alcohol under the age of 18. Teachers, could you imagine? Oh, you got the maths question right. Excellent. Here's a cruiser. Off you go. (laughs) It's so far removed from what we would do that we just laugh about it as as if. But yet we don't laugh about the sugar. We don't even think it's unreasonable. In fact, we think it's very reasonable. And look what's happening to our society. So true, Dr. Lucy. And as we're talking about this, I imagine that there are lots of parents out there who might be starting to feel a bit guilty, a bit horrible right now. Certainly, absolutely in no way, not our intention. Indeed, even just thinking about it, listening to you now, I'm getting some mother guilt as well. Mother guilt is such a strong and pervasive force. So we've talked about the problem, you know, sugar has saturated our children's environment What's the solution? So first of all, I would say don't feel guilty. Be kind to yourselves. And let's talk now some practical um, solutions, how we can all move forward now to help feed our families better and move forward with with compassion and self-kindness. What do you reckon, Lucy? What, What are some solutions? Look, totally. And this is, and you've, again, Mayors, God, you're good at articulating exactly what people may be thinking because certainly... What I always say is that this problem that, you know, we feed our kids sugar is not an individual's fault, okay? I did the same. You know, you've heard the chicken video. I did the same. But what it is, it's a societal acceptance of something, a normalisation, and we now go, okay, we need to stop doing this. And so the things that I would say is, okay, think about the language that you use around food. The word sweet treat, it's almost, again, it's like one word. People go sweet treat. Take the treat component out because when we feel that food is a treat, this is what happens lifelong. This is what happens to me lifelong. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I've worked hard. I deserve a treat. I'm going to have a bag of Maltesers on the couch, you know, reading a book or watching a video. Yay. The words that we use now are well, I don't, because again, I've got grown up children. I might, might have missed the boat a little bit, but in my world, I do point out to them because they still do emotional eating. They use food for mitigating negative circumstances. But we use, I would recommend everyday food and sometimes food. Those words have no emotion. There is no anticipation of reward, no anticipation of, um, you know, the guilty pleasure. That's another two words that go together, guilty pleasure. Hmm. 
How does that work in our brain? But yeah, everyday food and sometimes food. Food is not a reward and food is not a treat. We use treats to train dogs because they don't speak English. That's our currency for a dog. Children don't need food as their currency. What they need is non-food rewards. And Mares, you're the queen of this with your darling. Tell us some of the non-food rewards you use. Yes, so um, we have a few systems in our household. And yes, we definitely use the everyday foods and sometimes food language around foods. I find that very helpful. So for just everyday chores, this is what we do. My daughter gets some pocket money and the pocket money, how much pocket money she gets is tied to, you know, how many chores she does, you know, like 50 cents for doing a good job of emptying the dishwasher, that kind of thing. And she will then save up her pocket money to buy whatever it is that she wants. And we do have a rule that she can't buy food with her pocket money. And we don't say, you know, you can't buy sugar, you can't buy this. We just, she doesn't buy food with it, um, but she can buy other things with it. And we have star charts for things that maybe um, goals that we're working towards. A little while ago, I was having difficulty practicing the piano, wanted to do it, but was just having trouble with the self-management around actually doing it and prioritizing it. And she loves piano. She loves her piano teacher. It's something that, that she really enjoys. So we had a star chart and that just helped keep it front of mind for her. So every time she did a certain amount of practice, she got a star on it and we were working towards a reward. And in this case, the reward was experiential. So we we're going to take her to the local water slide park when she got you know, like 20 practices or something like that. So these kinds of rewards are good. And when we talk about treats, I only ever refer to non-food treats. So, you know, buying her a toy might be a treat or she can use her own pocket money to buy her own treats and treats aren't food. We'll really try really hard to keep the T word away from food and just so that we can mitigate I guess what is happening all the um, experiences she has that I can't control like I can't I can't easily control what her sport coaches will do you know if they give out lollies then I mean yes I could point out if I have the energy and I feel that it's emotionally safe to do so I might point out that that isn't what I want to happen but sometimes it's not always easy to do that. So I can't control everything and I don't need to control everything. We just try and control what we can. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, we don't need to control everything and we don't need to demonise food. This is the other thing. It's really about just providing an alternate narrative. At the moment, the narrative in our society is that, you know, sugar is a reward, it's good, it's great, it's the the cure, it's the everything, the holy grail and junk, let's just call it junk, junk is the holy grail, but, you know, providing an alternate narrative is just something that is helpful for a young developing brain. But kids, you know, kids also want other things, like they want time with their parents, that's another, another wonderful reward. I have one patient who uses balloons. Her child loves balloons. So you can go back to being really simple things. They like, obviously, coloured pens, colouring books. Stickers. Uh, stickers. You know, depending on the age of your child, a book, you know, in particular, a book is a wonderful reward for a kid. It's um, picture books for little kids, novels, 
if your child is a reader. Obviously, if your child hates reading, that is not going to be their currency. But their currency might be that they want to go out and have kick to kick with uh, one of their parents, you know, if they play sport or something along those lines. Find your child's currency and that's how you can use that for reward and food is is un, an unhelpful currency. Yes, so I would encourage all of you wonderful parents out there to, to let go of the guilt. Guilt is not a constructive emotion and, you know, come up with some practical tips about how you can move forward and start changing the narrative for yourself and for your wonderful kids. Absolutely. I hope you found this episode helpful. Obviously, it is not meant to make you feel guilty. This is not an individual problem. This is a societal problem. And as I mentioned, it hasn't happened by accident. There are powers way above us, (laughs) not sort of ethereal powers, governmental and big food corps that have made this happen. So, you know, again, ground change, we can assert our individual power from now on. Have a wonderful week, darlings. Bye, guys. At Real Life Medicine, we are passionate about empowering you to reclaim your health naturally and sustainably. And we hope that our podcast, our blogs and videos are useful resources for you and continue to be. If you would like more support, consider coming and working with us directly at Real Life Medicine through our monthly membership program or by joining our 12-week Mind and Body Rebalance program, our comprehensive program, which is launching on the 2nd of May. For more details, check out our website, rlmedicine.com. Music.